Coming up on This Week in Games, this Tokyo Game Show time, but what does that mean? Twitch is blocked in China and no one is saying why, and loot boxes are getting shade around the world. Coming up, This Week in Games. Welcome to This Week in Games. I'm your host, Eric McConnell, and the game industry gods have graced us with a jam-packed week following that terrible desert last week. So we got to jump into this. We got a lot to cover. First off, Tokyo Game Show is here. And I don't know what that means anymore. So Tokyo Game Show is the E3 of Japan. It's here to show us the future of one of the biggest markets, you know, in the world, Japan mainly focuses on Japanese developers. There are Western developers, Korean developers there, but mainly Japanese. Sadly, Nothing is Amazing was announced, and that's kind of the normal for the last few years because the Japanese market itself, so the people in Japan are becoming less and less interested in traditional console and mobile game, or not mobile, console and portable games, as mobile games have basically taken over um, the Japanese market. So... You have games in Japan that are making a million dollars, four million dollars a day on iOS and Android, but frankly, like Final Fantasy and a lot of the big uh, console releases, they used to have people flock to Akihabara and line up for hours to buy them. You know, you don't really see that anymore. And that's not to say Japanese developers aren't releasing giant titles, it's just all the money from those developers is being made elsewhere. And this is why kind of like international conventions like E3, PAX, Gamescon, you know, anything elsewhere garnered much bigger announcements, whereas we had a few announcements from a Sony keynote, but uh, Sony made way more announcements at E3 than they're going to make at Tokyo Game Show. So it's kind of interesting to see the shift. Um, normally Tokyo Game Show is when, like, we're talking early 2000s, when all the major Japanese developers drop bombs and the Japanese console makers drop bombs, but now that all happens at E3. So Tokyo Game Show is pretty niche, I guess. You know, there were things, games announced, and so on and so on. Resident Evil uh, 2 Remake got a bunch of trailers and gameplay footage and um other very japanese centric games as well but once again it's kind of weird to see this uh (laughs) this game show so lackluster but moving on twitch is blocked in china so after reaching number three in free apps for all of china last month due to the asian games which is like an olympic for for esports i guess in china Twitch has been blocked in China. So the funny thing is Twitch has yet to comment on this and China has yet to give a reason why it was blocked. But don't worry, guys. My half-assed geopolitics take on this has been coming. So basically, the Chinese government is fiercely protecting the domestic gaming industry. You see that with them even blocking Tencent from publishing Korean or North American games in China. And I'm going to just say some conglomerate, probably Tencent, petitioned the government to remove Twitch due to its popularity. So there are a number of streaming platforms, pretty popular streaming platforms for gamers, pretty popular in China right now. I'm pretty sure the Chinese government was just like, we got to protect these, so we're going to just block Twitch. I'm sure they'll give Twitch some borderline unreasonable compliance to agree with, 
or force him to fork over money to some local partner like a Tencent or an Alibaba just to operate in the country. I guess we'll see. But right now, no one's talking. So it's pretty interesting to see just a country outright block something that becomes popular and then not say why. And then that company also not coming on it. And speaking of ending uh, gaming streaming, YouTube gaming is coming to an end. So launched in 2015 after Google failed to acquire Twitch. Um, Twitch was acquired by Amazon in 2014. Google launched YouTube gaming, and it kind of was a not-so-great attempt on taking on the streaming giant. So YouTube gaming director cites confusion as to what exactly YouTube gaming was, along with a general lack of like audience cohort. So there wasn't really a great audience that was like, hey, this is what our audience is for YouTube gaming. It was more or less like, hey, we're going to pay specific streamers to be on our platform and they're going to bring their audience. Oh, no, they didn't bring their audience and the streamers want to go back to Twitch. So, you know, it's really hard. You can't defeat an incumbent with the exact same technology that they're using or in YouTube gaming's case, I really felt like the UX and the experience was worse than Twitch's already. And you're really not going to beat Twitch with that. (laughs) I mean, at this point, looking back, their only plan could have been that Twitch really screwed up, kind of like similar to Uber and Lyft, where Uber had just like so many publicly facing issues, pissed off a lot of people, and then investors and major companies started getting behind Lyft, and then Lyft took off kind of in spite of Uber's failure. That's what they could have hoped for. YouTube gaming was essentially a Me Too product that didn't really need to exist. And instead, Google should have focused on like the next incremental iteration of streamed entertainment or live entertainment in gaming. And instead, really just kind of tried to copy Twitch and did a poor job and never stole the audience from Twitch. And to be honest, it's probably best if Google, Facebook, Microsoft, and Caffeine stop trying to defeat Twitch at its own game. So they either need to focus on some kind of niche underserved market or kind of, you know, figure out something new, figure out the next iteration of the industry. I mean, at this point, the only way for Twitch to be defeated is Twitch's own ambitions, which are to not be a gaming-only platform because Twitch desperately wants to become a television channel where you go to watch cooking shows and workout shows and everything else, talk shows, and not be gaming-centric. And then at this point, Twitch could go too far in that direction and actually ostracize the game industry and then kind of lose their audience. But that's not happening. So all these companies who are just throwing money at the problem, trying to get exclusivity deals with either esports leagues or games or streamers, it's just not going to happen. Twitch is too big. And now my favorite uh, favorite segments of the week, the old stick it to the loot boxes segment. So we have a few stories involving loot box investigations. So first, investigation in loot boxes finds them psychologically akin to gambling. And in other news, water still wet, grass still green, and no crap. Uh, so the Australian Environment and Communications Reference Committee, ECRC, I will never m- mention them again because that's a giant name. Um, held a public hearing to discuss reports by Dr. David Zindel and Dr. Paul Carnes on loot boxes. So I can go into these reports and tell you exactly what they're on, but we all know from rants on this podcast and, you know, 
general knowledge, there's no difference between loot boxes and slot machines. The two doctors suggest that loot boxes actually meet the psychological criteria for gambling. And I guess we'll just see how Australia responds. I mean, you're basically, you held a hearing publicly by your government here to investigate what these two doctors say about loot boxes. And they came out and said that they're exactly psychologically gambling. I mean, Australia has to do something at this point, right? I don't know. We'll see. Um, maybe send some game industry lobbyists down there ASAP. But the house of cards for the revenue of the entire game industry is falling. Because right now, games are, you know, getting away from sequels and mass blockbusters being published and more and more going towards services that heavily and almost solely rely on in-app purchases that are related to gambling in some way. So next up, 16 international gambling regulatory agents are wary of loot boxes and skim gambling. So this was more like this is more focused on skin gambling than general loot boxes and but I will say skin skin gambling um, for those you don't know is when you can bet on something using value items from loot boxes and then the more you can bet, so each item will have some kind of price or tier determined based on its popularity and demand and the rarity you can get it at from loot boxes. And then you can use those items to gamble on anything from like esports to just straight up roulette. And then those items basically become a proxy for real money currency. So the most common the most common example is Counter-Strike Go skins being used to gamble on esports or just gamble in general and valve has slowly shut those down but you know they really waited too long they knew exactly what was happening they knew that this gambling was driving up their revenue and they really didn't do anything about it but back to the story 16 regulatory bodies have co-signed a declaration of gambling regulators on their concerns related to the blurring lines between gambling and gaming like i said this mostly addressed skin gambling and yes, in fact, skin gambling is gambling. And uh, also, welcome to 2018 regulatory agencies. <laughs> so the biggest agencies present were Spain, UK, France, and Washington State. Washington State actually had state hearing Senate uh, hearings and bills on this, like for the last I don't know year. And yeah, I'll just say the gravy chain is slowly coming to an end. So. Let's talk uh, for a quick minute on loot boxes in the future of gaming. The real issue with loot boxes and gotcha mechanics and other randomized rewards is that they're kind of just a crutch on revenue goals for companies, and it really sucks. So, you know, sometimes they're implemented fantastically, and a lot of times they're implemented poorly and create this, like, negative compulsion loop for users. And in my opinion, I wouldn't say loot boxes need to go permanently, but... As a crutch mechanic, I'd like to see them use less, be less successful, whether that be from audience education to know what exactly is happening so they don't go do it. So, for example, you know, a lot of people know that going to Vegas and pulling a slot machines, you have the odds are not remotely in your favor. But I feel like people just aren't that educated on loot boxes. So loot boxes suck because they create this, like, the equivalent of sunken cost fallacy but for monetary 
issues. So like you sunk so much money into this game, it's hard to step away from this game. But you no longer find the game fun. But your only option to make it more fun is to sink more money into it. And it's a terrible loop. And you're really just screwing over your users. And you're screwing them over to the entire game industry. You know, you're not just screwing them over for your game. They're going to stick with your game. But they're likely not going to stick with another game like that again. And even if games aren't as bad as your games or maybe don't even have this mechanic, they might be turned away from that genre or identify. Like if Street Fighter screws over a bunch of people, then maybe like Killer Instincts and Mortal Kombat see their cells drop because Street Fighter has kind of like turned people away to fighting games in general. So... The other problem is like developers no longer need to like use other quality signals to produce profits. So no longer is like art a big major factor, fun, music, really is like how well can you implement these mechanics to psychologically hook players. And really the biggest thing to driving money is to find those one to two percent of users who become wells and drive all the profits for the entire game. And I'd like to see a future where top grossing of the platform Includes a variety of games and spinning mechanics, not just one. So premium games, maybe subscription games, um, like a lot of different game mechanics and types rather than just like if you look on iOS and Android, it's either how do we hook people on PvP, that's pay to win. How do we hook people on basically gambling with loot boxes? You know, how do we, you know, it's, it's all these things and I'd rather see... A variety of success and that's how we get gaming you know out of we we just need to keep upping gaming into the zeitgeist of the culture and right now we're stuck in this terrible like negative loop and i'd like to see us you know move on from that all right rant over let's plow through some more news valve and ubisoft fined for breach of French consumer law. So Steam and Uplay are the latest victims of European consumer rights and are each fined roughly over $150,000, but it was in euros, and I don't know what euros are. Are those things that come in Monopoly boxes? <laughs> I'm kidding. Kidding. The fine was effectively over the ease of return of digital goods within the two-week grace period required. Who cares? The EU is going hard after game companies right now they must just want money i mean whatever pretty common actually it's kind of i'm surprised they got away with a hundred and fifty thousand dollar fine so next up google announces several experiments and attempt to save daydream so daydream is google's vr it's i guess vr platform but really it's vr devices so in a smart move google releases several updates to Android VR platform. Android VR, I guess, is the name of the platform. Daydream is the actual device and hardware line. So these updates include a 6DOF controller. It supports a see-through mode to create, I guess, like semi-AR. And eventually, all Android games will support Android VR and Daydream. And this allows you to just submit and create one game and have it be accessible across multiple platforms depending on the platform features. So that makes sense. The controller is a positional controller, and it stands for six degrees of freedom. So you can move it in six degrees, I guess. Not very, like, innovative. This stuff has been around for 15 years. The fake AR is interesting, but frankly, I'd rather just get real AR. 
I don't really like a lot of these VR headsets struggle um, from quality as it is. And so if you add in see-through mode with AR overlay on top of that, I just imagine that the see-through mode quality just isn't there, you know. My thoughts on VR can easily be summed up by Unity CEO John Riccagelli. I mispronounce that name. I mispronounce it every time. And he said, VR hasn't seen a true consumer launch, and I completely agree. I feel like VR is way off in the future. Um, AR will probably come first. Lots of people say that as well. I'm not saying anything innovative. And yeah, so Google's trying to save Daydream. We'll see what happens. Um, They really just need developers, and they need developers to see a value proposition on that platform. Next up, Sony announces a PlayStation Mini. Hold on, sorry. I mean PlayStation Classic. Yeah, not Mini, because Nintendo owns the Mini line. They they call it Classic. So in a Classic Me Too product, Sony wants some of that NES and SNES Classic money and launches their own Classic product. The problem is PlayStation didn't have clean 2D sprites, so the nostalgia of the SNES and playing those old Final Fantasy games is very there. Like, you look at those sprites, you hear that music, you're like, I'm home. But instead, the PlayStation had a horrible mismatch of pixelated geometry that tried to represent something in 3D. We all remember Final Fantasy VII characters. Like, that was rough. So this emulator comes for with 20 games and will cost you $100.00. Honestly, I would rather Sony come up with a legit cross-platform virtual console like Nintendo did, except for in Nintendo's case, you have to repurchase the same game every console generation. Um, Sony could do that without this screw-over mechanic of having to repurchase the game, so that if I buy Final Fantasy VII, I get Final Fantasy VII on all Sony products. Um, But I guess they won't, because we can all thank Nintendo for creating this like new line of products that no one actually uses but everyone wants to buy because of FOMO (sighs) it's sad and more sad news Sony is officially killing the Vita not really sad it's kind of expected the PlayStation Vita will end production in 2019 it had a good run but really never amounted to anything more than at its peak it was considered just a Monster Hunter portable device I think Monster Hunter represented all of the cells in Japan on the Vita. Um, I'll cover this and maybe come up with the history of the Vita when the production line actually ends next week. All right, we had a lot of business news, so I'm going to fly through this, and uh, I don't know. This is a lot. So THQ Nordic acquires more IP. In the continuing saga of the best or worst acquisitions of all time, THQ Nordic buys more useless IP. This time it buys Alone in the Dark and Act of War from Atari. Now I have to imagine there's some kind of evil genius like scheme at play. Like there's no reason this company is buying all these useless old IPs except for they're going to release this master plan and take over the game industry. I really believe in you THQ Nordic. Like week over week I announce these IP purchases. I haven't seen you do anything with them and I'm really afraid for what's brewing on the back end of this. Uh, next up, Skills hits $400 million in revenue for Q2. Gosh, that's crazy. Like, Skills is making $400 million a quarter. So that's Skills with a Z, not an S, because we're cool and we're in video games. So Skills has a Z at the end. Is a mobile esports platform. 
Skills has new partnerships with 5,000 developers. It now runs esports competitions for 13,000 mobile studios, 18 million active players across 800 million tournaments. Skills also claims to have given away 100 million in prizes in the last five or six months. Looking at their partner website, I don't recognize any of these games that they claim to run tournaments for. This, this is weird. Like, these games, I don't recognize any of them. So I really wonder, like, where this money is coming from and where this money is going. But clearly it's working for the partners and it's working for skills. So who am I to get in the way? I don't know. Keyword announces revenue and profits up 70% over the last six months and two more acquisitions. So... These of you guys who have been following the podcast, Keywords is a service provider that has been on an acquisition tear. Just in the first six months of 2018, they acquired Maximal, Cord and Lace, Lance, Fire Without Smoke, and Blindsight. So this resulted in improved audio, marketing, and talent searching services. So they kind of just offer a variety of services. And uh, all these acquisitions led to revenue and profits up 70% this six months. And with that, Keywords announces that they are acquiring two more companies, Trailer Farm, who does video production for, you guessed it, trailers, and Technicolor Sound Lab, who has worked on games like Final Fantasy, Resident Evil, and Gears of War. Acquisitions work, people, you know, unless you're buying big IQ, IP like THQ Nordic. <laughs> Keywords is looking pretty much to be like the media and entertainment service powerhouse. And they're really just on their way to do that. I, I can't really think of another giant powerhouse that crosses like television, music, and m movies, and games, and other media like Keywords kind of does now. So keep at it. I'm curious to see where this uh, kind of ends up. Next up, developers Disruptor Beam form partnership with user acquisition and publisher Tilting Point for $29 million. So... The $29 million will be helped to fund user acquisition for the free-to-play mobile game Star Trek Timelines. The partnership also defined a co-development of IP-centric RPG in which Tilting Point will publish. Jesus Christ, $25 million is a lot for user acquisition for a Star Trek game I frankly have never heard of. So they better really have some amazing ARPU numbers because $25 million is not easy to get back. And I guess Tilting Point has money to burn and Disruptor Beam is willing to be a slave for a publisher because that's what this deal kind of just sounds like. Disruptor Beam was making their own games. Now they're going to have to make co-develop games with Tilting Point, who really doesn't make games themselves. So Tilting Point wants to get into game development and is going to use the sweat and tears of Disruptor Beam to get into it. And then they're going to publish their own games, I guess. Eh, all right. <laughs> yeah, sorry, guys. Next up. Stillfront Groups acquires Imperium Online for $11 million. The Stillfront Group is like this weird Swedish collection of various game developers, publishers, a company is based in Sweden. Imperia Online is known for the strategy MMO of the same name, Imperia Online, but also claims to have published 25 browser mobile games since 2009. Now, the interesting part of this is the deal was half done. So the $11 million, half of that, was used to acquire 100% of the current stock of Aperia Online. And the other half was used to issue new stock and then hold on to that new stock. So strange, but I guess Imperia Online will still be ran as an independent company since it wasn't absorbed into Stillfront Group's overall conglomerate. 
I personally haven't had heard much from either of these companies and I kind of just vaguely know of Imperia Online and I've watched videos of it but it's a lot of money to throw around for two corporations I've never heard of and that's the type of stuff that scares me. <laughs> Next up, Dream Team raises $5 million in the seed round from Mangrove Capital. No, no. This isn't the 1992 U.S. Olympic basketball team. This is an esports <laughs> team building service. So, Dream Team offers esports team building for Counter Strike Go and League of Legends with Fortnite coming very soon. Looking into it, it's pretty interesting business. It's effectively a recruitment market for esports teams. So, say you're like a monster mid laner in League of Legends, but you can't find a team with their eyes set on entering Challenger or NALCS, or, you know, you can't find someone as dedicated to becoming a professional esports gamer as you. So you go to the service and you get matched up with others who have similar goals based on position. You know, like I'm a mid laner, what teams are looking for mid laners, and, you know, like based on, hey, these people want to play eight hours a day and really have a go at it, I'm game. However... As great as the business sounds, sadly, I can't see a serious future going forward because looking at traditional sports agents and managers who are dedicated to scouting and recruitment will probably take over this role. So if you're the number one League of Legends team, why would you go here to find your people? So this may be good for like pre-pro teams. And then once you kind of like on your pre-pro team get your name out there, maybe then you get recruited by a scouting agent. I don't know. I should, uh, we should look into the how esports teams recruit. That would be a good story. So maybe in the future I'll go into that. Next up, FunSolve raises six figures deals from an investment firm, Outright Games. So FunSolve says the money will go towards a multi platform major IP gaming development. That project will last in two, launch in two years, which they then will start a new IP project. Outright Games is a firm known for publishing Cartoon Network games like Ben 10 and Adventure Time. Um, when a game company is saying that they're going to launch a game in two years and immediately start another game, that's generally a bad sign. It's kind of like if you're a, a fighter and you're already talking about fighting the champion and you're not even ranked in the top 10, 15, you know. Not good. Got to focus on what's in front of you. FunSolve hasn't released anything significant. So, you know, and they're not even saying what the money investment was, which is also generally not a good sign. I guess we'll see what goes on from that. Next up, industry vets come together to form new indie publisher Rogue. So veterans from Apple, Kabam, Glue Mobile, Sprint, and IGN fill the ranks at Rogue. Rogue will focus on highly detailed, optimized experience for mobile games. For those of you who are just passively listening, that means absolutely nothing. So, yeah, it's just some mumble words that means whatever the hell. So their current profile includes Rumble Heroes, Tasty Brains, Go Boom, and Ladder Up. And if you guys have listened to this, you've heard this rant before, I'm really against indie publishers. If your indie publisher isn't funding your development, and funding your marketing campaigns or giving you guaranteed sales, do not use an indie publisher. It makes no sense. They're just taking money from you, for, and they're not offering anything. I won't go fully into this rant because this episode's too long already, but you guys know better, right? <laughs> Next up, 
Outfit 7, developers of TomTom open a new Barcelona studio. I don't know. I can't can't do the TH. The new studio will work on an unannounced Talking Tom project. Now, that's not interesting. It's a small studio, whatever. The most interesting part (laughs) that researching the story is that Talking Tom was acquired by a Chinese firm for a billion dollars last year. What the hell? Like, I can't believe Talking Tom is still a thing in it. Acquired for a billion dollars? Jesus Christ. (laughs) That's a huge payout. Good job, Outfit 7. Good job. Next up, Wargaming opens a new UK studio to work on an MMO. This one's rough. So, Guildford would be the location of a new 25-person studio to create a new free-to-play MMO. This comes after Wargaming closed their Seattle office, causing 150 people to lose employment. Does anyone see the giant red flags in this story? So Wargaming closes the office at 150 people, opens a new one with 25 people, and says the word MMO development. What the hell? You can't make an MMO with 25 people. Just think of the art content alone. You know, like, you're not going to create anything substantial with 25 people. You just laid off 150 people. These are all red flags to me. Wargaming proved me wrong. Uh, next up disney shuts down star wars rivals during soft launch so for those of you who didn't know which includes me before i read the story star wars rival was a mobile cover based shooter meaning you effectively run from like cover to cover barrier to barrier choose when to pop up and then shoot at the enemy shooting at you so for any of you who are my age um you remember time crisis in the arcades effectively the same thing but not as cool because you're tapping on a mobile screen and not using badass light guns and pretending you're secret agents. Okay, that was just me, my friends. Really, the gameplay videos didn't look interesting. Can't really imagine what you're going to do with in-app purchases or gotcha mechanics since the game kind of just comes down to you popping up over cover and tapping on things. And how many waves can you make like asymmetric character designs to make acquiring new characters that much more interesting? Probably not. Um, and this was probably for the best because there's frankly 500 too many Star Wars games on the mobile market right now. So at least Disney's making smart decisions, everyone. All right, let's round it off with some people news and then I got some bad news. So Aaron Flynn, the former Bioware GM, joins Improbable. There he will be the GM of games of North America. And, and for those of you who forgot, Improbable is a London based studio that creates and maintains spatial OS. A cloud computing platform. So, Spatial OS is actually getting a ton of traction in multiplayer and MMO games. And it's kind of weird to jump from like super story driven RPGs at Bioware. Bioware, known for like Mass Effect and a bunch of other, you know, Knights of the Old Republic, I believe. Was that Bioware? Crap. My brain. I remember Jade, uh, Jade Empire. That was a good Bioware game. But uh, story-driven RPGs, single-player RPGs, and to jump from GM at that to GM at a cloud computing platform, pretty weird jump. But Spatial OS is popping up more and more, and frankly, at this point, I think they're going to be a big player. They're talking a big game. They're getting a lot of people to use their technology. They have a lot of money behind them. They're in the news constantly. Spatial OS might be here to stay. All right, so we have two two really big bad news this week, and I'm sure you guys know both of them. First up, Telltale is hit with studio-wide layoffs. 
effectively closing the studio. If they call it majority layoffs, um, they're effectively closing the studio. Telltale, uh, Jesus, this is rough. And it's kind of near me in the Bay Area. So the CEO released a statement expressing basically what we know, which is that Telltale cells just weren't there. I heard from some insiders that basically the first Walking Dead season sold really well and made a ton of money. And then Telltale kind of just hired way too many employees. I think at some point they were up to 250 employees made way too many games um when you make games with giant ips like game of thrones walking dead um borderlands batman you know a lot of the money goes to the ip holders and you have to sign fees giant million dollar fees just to sign the ip you have to guarantee monthly revenue minimums and you have to hand over a giant chunk of your revenue to them that's after you hand over the 30 percent to apple or android yeah, it's a rough business, guys. So um, I heard that basically the first season of The Walking Dead was the most successful. And then the other wave of first season, so like the first season of Game of Thrones, was also successful. And then from then, sales just went dead. And, you know, that kind of shows that your idea was good, but maybe your long-term execution wasn't. I don't know. Maybe it was a niche idea. And people tried it and then stopped trying it. It's hard to say. So basically, a skeleton crew of 25 will stay behind, but solely to fulfill contractual obligations, I imagine that they have to do work on some of these games and finish releasing them, or else they will get fined tons of money and be in tons of trouble. So 25 will stay behind. Everyone else is laid off. When these contractual obligations are done, those 25, I imagine, will be laid off. And I know I made a lot of fun of Telltale last week, but I feel really bad, and this is hard to swallow. I really want to see game companies like Telltale succeed because we need more paradigms for games. We need more paradigms for profitability. I just went on a rant earlier on how I don't want the answer for every mobile studio's revenue problem to always be gotcha, pay-to-win, or some other psychological trick to unlock well-level spending. You know, it's just... We need more paradigms, and I really want story-driven games to succeed. I, myself, am a mechanic-driven player. Like, I love Monster Hunter. Monster Hunter, I can't even tell you what the storyline is. I don't even, when the storyline comes up in that game, my brain just turns off because it's so bad, you know? I only care about mechanics and game systems and how they interact. However, I really appreciate companies who are the polar opposite and only care about storylines and have very bare minimum game mechanics that's because i want this industry to be as diverse and flourish in as many ways as possible and i'm frankly really hard not i'm not really hard it's really hard to see telltale go down like this and i really hope someone out there takes up the story driven mantle and tries to drive this home like i want to see one day what the wire is in video games so for those who don't know the wire is an hbo show about cops however there's pretty much never shootouts there's never anything action oriented and it was all talking and interaction between characters and kind of like social constructs and things like that most interesting show of all time and i want to see what that is in the game industry where you take away crazy mechanics and combat and excitement but you still make the most interesting game of all time 
And I want to see someone pick up that story-driven mantle and really drive it to its next, like, incremental iteration. Sorry, Telltale. Um, you know, you really, you really tried something new, and I have to applaud you for that. And you did succeed. All right, next up, Capcom Vancouver officially shuts down. So this is the exact opposite because I'm really sad to see Telltale go and Capcom Vancouver, you suck. Okay, and I know it's probably not you guys who work there's problem, um, but I'll go into that in a second. So the writing was on the wall for Capcom Vancouver for a while because layoffs and project cancellation hit the studio months ago. That generally means your studio is going to shut down, right? Um, the report now is 158 people have lost their job in this closure. Capcom Vancouver started in 2005 and was primarily known for the Dead Rising series, but recently launched the ill-fated mobile title Puzzle Fighter Mobile. So I'm sad to hear everyone lost their jobs. I know this isn't your fault, but God damn it, you ruined the best puzzle game of all time with that terrible mobile experience. Like, Puzzle Fighter Mobile basically writes itself or designs itself. It's so easy to do. It's beyond easy to do. And you guys made it terrible. And it was just so blatantly money-hungry. It was just, ah, I'm so mad at you guys. Like, I'm... I'm sick to my stomach because when this type of crap happens, it makes it like 10 times harder in the future to get another Puzzle Fighter title out there because this one did so bad that companies just look at this and say, oh, the brand's not there or oh, the mechanic or the genre isn't there. But in reality, you did a terrible execution on one of my favorite games of all time. And uh, yeah, that's how it happens. The studio gets shut down. It's sad still. So uh Telltale guys, you know, you're in the Bay Area. I'm sure there's a billion jobs out here. Probably not all as cool as Telltale, but hopefully you all recover. And Vancouver is also a hotbed for a lot of industries. So hopefully Capcom Vancouver employees, you guys will uh, land on your feet. And that's it for this week in games. Join me next week. Bye.